All right, you can see the title up there. I'll get to the props in a minute. Um, if you're familiar with this passage that we're going to be in, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. So if you want to turn your Bibles in there, you can. You don't have to. You can listen along. But we're continuing um, with our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this, this great sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples, to those that were gathering around him on this mount. Um, Matthew 5, you know, he talks, talks about the Beatitudes. He's talking about heart issues. Matthew 6 is an entire issue of the heart of why we do what we do. A call to living out our relationship with Christ to get his kingdom in our hearts, to live out his kingdom out there. Ultimately, Jesus is pointing us when the, you know, when the disciples ask him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And they're trying to boil this down. And Jesus says, all of it is based on these things, loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, he, is, he is instilling these, these kingdom revelations. And I, I pray for you as I pray for myself and my family that we'll get these kingdom revelations in our spirits. And we're going to go into Matthew 7. We've been through Matthew 5 and 6 a bit. And so we'll spend the next couple of weeks in Matthew 7. Uh, and, and today specifically 1 through 6. And this is, is titled, Who is the Judge? And he begins to touch in on how we should live and how we should deal with others. He's been talking a lot about, about, about how we you know, deal with our own hearts, but how do we deal with others and in, in, in how it relates to God first and then, and then our neighbors and then how we treat other people that are around us. And our job is to get our lives on track with him and be right before God. And here's a revelation is we will not answer for others and their lives, or even what they did to us. We won't give an answer for that. We will answer to God for ourselves. We will stand before him. The, the Bible speaks of the judgment seat of Christ for believers and the, the great white throne of judgment. And we will stand and we will give an account before God when we leave this earth, when we die or he returns, we will stand before him and give an account and that there's a level of that that needs to bring us the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, but not, not in a way of, of terror uh, of the Lord, but a, a healthy fear of the Lord that we will answer to him. This life, when, when, when it's over, it's not the end. It is just the beginning. And so it is our relationship with God and how we relate to him and to other people. And how easy in this life, and we're going to look at this, but how easy it is for us to look and to judge others. That's what we're going to look at today. Let's read the text. Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. That's, that's a mouthful right there. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So we're going to look at how all that flows together. When, again, what Jesus' thought is. First of all, again, let us remind who he's speaking to. He's speaking specifically to his disciples. You know, he begins this thing where he draws up on this mountain and he is speaking to his disciples. By the end of it, there's a large crowd that gathers around him. But he's speaking to believers. He's not speaking to the world. 
And so we're going to break this down and look at it a little bit. But verse 1, this verse has been abused and misapplied that we have the tendency to miss what's really being said. And consequently, we lose the emphasis in, the, in verse 5, which points out what we are to do first. There's a, there's a first before we get to that part. But, but this verse, verse 1, has been really abused, I think. The passage has been used by the world and even some well-meaning believers to say that we are not to judge ever, period, end of point, that never, ever have a judgment toward anyone. However, there are times when that Scripture speaks to us and it's very clear that we make a judgment. Jesus says this in John 7, 24. He says to judge with righteous judgment. I'm going to give you a few verses of Scripture here. You can write them down if you like to take notes. But I want to dispel this idea of when, when people say, well, judge not lest you be judged. And then there's the end of the point. We are to, we are to give a judgment at times. And I'm going to, again, give the distinction of what Jesus is making. But 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 talks about that we are to judge those who are inside the church. You know, Paul is giving this, uh, he's given the story, this guy has been in a moral failure who's in the church. And Paul tells the Corinthian church, he said, you, you need to deal with your brother. He's your brother. He's a believer. You need to deal with him. And you need to confront him. So that's kind of a judgment there. They're, they are confronting their brother in love. 1 John 4, 1 says that we are to test the spirits. It says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, or we are to test all things. Well, when you test something, you are bringing it somewhat under a judgment. Again, we're going to get into how we're supposed to judge in a minute. Galatians 6, 1 says that if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So we can even catch a, a word there that, that, that uh, our judgment or our restoration or our confrontation should be done gently, but that is a type of judgment there. And it's something you cannot do without first making a judgment that something is sin. 1 Timothy 6.3 says that if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction, the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus, and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So that's a judgment, isn't it? And then obviously, uh, we'll get into this probably in a couple weeks, but Matthew 7, Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. Well, that's a judgment. It's a type of judgment. And what he's trying to get at is you can, you can say with, with your words many things, but you will know a tree by its fruit. Paul later on says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, you know all the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, you can, you can say you're an apple tree all day long, but if you're producing oranges, everyone stands back and says, um, you know, and, it, and it's a type of judgment. No, you're not an apple tree. You're an orange tree. You're producing oranges. And we can say one thing, but if we're living a different, that's where Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. So we look at the fruit of a life produced. And so what we judge is we, we become fruit inspectors, if you will. We know a tree by its fruit. So it's not that we never judge ever, but it's how we judge and that is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Even the context of this passage indicates that we are judged when it's appropriate. Verse 5, Jesus says, Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he's getting at something that we have to do first before we are to make a judgment. I would call it this, you know, because that word judgment has gotten a lot of negative play. You, know, you can't judge me. 
don't judge me. And you hear that in culture a lot. You can't, you're, you're not my judge. And in certain levels, we are not the judge. God is the judge. I would call this redeemed observation. Isn't that a nice politically correct say, way to say judge? Redeemed observation, because obviously Jesus is dealing with our heart. Before we can deal with others, before we can help them, we need to have a redeemed observation. We need to see from the lens that Jesus lets us see through. And he's telling us that we have to deal with our own selves first. So when Matthew 7.1 is used to forbid any condemnation of evil or sin, it's a clear abuse of Scripture. So proper biblical judgment is not only appropriate for believers, it's required by Scripture in specific circumstances. So we can't use this verse as an excuse to shirk our responsibility to judge or discern or to distinguish between right and wrong. And so it's this, it's all in how we do it as we live before God and look at our own hearts first. It's divine priority. Are you right with God? That's why Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Get right with God first so that you can help your brother or you can help others. There's a divine priority here. Verse 2, it's a fear of the Lord passage. He says this, In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Whatever measure you use, it will, be measure, it will be used to measure you. So we need to know in the, in the way that we see people, in the way that we judge, in the way that we measure, God will measure us the same way. All of a sudden, we feel more gracious towards other people when we think about that. Here's who we, we, what we should not judge, and you can write these down if you want. We should never judge people's motives or their convictions. We cannot know what they do or why they do it. We can't see what's going on inside and the surface. You know, we only see the surface. Sometimes we don't see the heart. And so we are not to judge people's motives. You can look at it this way. When you, when you begin to like pigeonhole people or peg people, like you have them all figured out. And you're looking from uh, not a redeemed observational point. You're looking kind of from a a judgmental um, perspective, and then you just peg them. Oh, I know. I know all about that. I've I've seen a million of you. And we make kind of judgments like that. Well, we don't know what's going on inside their heart or what they're wrestling with. That's why the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're not to work out other people's salvation. We should never judge people's motives. Two, we should never judge the calling of another believer saying they should do this or that as a calling as it, as it pertains to what they're called to do. We all have a different emphasis. We're all a different part of the body of Christ. This is why some people will do certain things. You know, they're called to the mission field, and, and, and that's great, but if they were to stand up and say, well, you're all sinners unless you go to the mission field. Well, no, because we're called to do different things. We're called to have a different emphasis. We're called to be a unique part of the body of Christ. But it's very easy to look at someone and say, well, you know, why aren't they doing this or that? They should be doing this or that in their calling. And we need to leave them with the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit with their lives. We are not to judge three morally neutral issues. What is that? Well, a good example is this. When we were growing up, our denomination said that it was a sin to go to the theater and see a movie. They later on retracted that, and they said, well, 
It's more the content. In other words, going to a theater is a morally neutral issue. What you watch and the content is another thing. And so morally neutral issues to say someone, you know, well, you know, and, and everything was worldly back then. When I was a kid, everything was worldly. You couldn't go bowling because people smoked at the bowling alley. I'm like, what in the world are we doing here? And there's a morally neutral thing, so we should not judge on morally neutral issues. Number four, we should not judge outward appearances. It's easy for us to make a snap judgment on someone's outward appearance when we don't know their heart. And the Bible says over and over again that God looks at the heart. I was challenged one year. uh, There was this uh, three-day... retreat that Athena and I got to go to. The guys would go first, then their wives would go a few weeks later. It's called Tres Dias, three days. Spanish, that's my Spanish for the day. Um, Hope you enjoyed that. But it's three days with the Lord. And there was a guy there that uh, was a part of the group, and you just, you know, it's total strangers. I mean, my brother-in-law went, I knew him, but it's total strangers. You know nothing about their story. And this one guy just looked very rough. Both ears were pierced, tattoos. You know, he just, he just looked rough. And I immediately made that kind of, when I saw him first, I'm like, hmm, I wonder, you know, I wonder who drug him here. You know, somebody, somebody conned that guy into coming. He probably he looks like he doesn't even belong. He doesn't look like he even wants to be here that much. And he just kind of sat off to him by himself and didn't say much. And, you know, you, you see him and you, you're kind of making those, you know, nonverbal, but you know what we do. And so there was, a, there was a time where it was kind of getting towards the, you know, it was like the second day in. Um, and they would open it up sometimes where people could just share their journey a little bit. And he hadn't really said anything. And, you know, you, you do some classes and you're doing things, and he hardly said a word. And so he said, I'd like to say something. And, I'm, and you know, again, you make a judgment. You think, okay, here we go. You know, he's going to say, I don't, I don't like this place. I, I don't know what he was going to say. And he stands up and he said, I, I lived a very, very hard life. And he went on to share about abuse and alcoholism and that was in his family and all of these things. And he, he said, I, I, I rebelled and, and, you know, and, 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 and that, that, that lifestyle of growing up and that sent me off the, uh, you know, over the edge. And I got into all kinds of things and I ended up in prison for a while. He said, but while I was in prison... I found Jesus. And he said, some of you guys might be even thinking that, uh, you, know, why, you know, looking at my earrings or what, you know, because back then it wasn't as popular as it is today. People are piercing lots of things now. Um, and, he, and he had just, you know, two hanging crosses off of both ears. And he said, the reason why I pierced my ears, and he went to that Old Testament passage is when, you, when, when a slave would belong to a master, it says that they would, you know, they would pierce them with an awl and, and, and to basically say, you belong to me. And the indication there is that that awl would represent whoever that person was, maybe their mark or something, but it was a piercing of some sort. And he said, I read that, and he said, I, I, I committed, and I, he said, I want to be a slave to Jesus all my days, and he just starts weeping. And I tell you, it was a bunch of grown men crying their eyes out, and I felt, I was crying for other reasons, like, God, forgive me for judging that guy's heart. 
because we just don't know. And it's easy to look at the packaging and make a judgment. And we don't see the heart. And Jesus rebuked that religious spirit over and over about the outward appearance, looking really good, but being filled with all kinds of things. And we cannot judge outward appearance. What's in the heart counts. Number five, we cannot judge. We should not judge harshly or critically. William McDonald said this. He said, a habitual fault finder is a poor advertisement for the Christian faith. When we are finding fault, we're being critical, we're being harsh with others, even within our own midst. That's why Jesus talked about the power of unity. It's easy to, to criticize one another. And then lastly, we are not to judge those outside of the church. That same passage from 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says this. He says, deal with those inside the church, love your brothers and sisters, confront them lovingly. But he said, I am not talking about those outside the church. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. We are the church. We are not the Holy Spirit. And we are to love the world. And so Paul says, do not judge those outside the church. That's not our job. The Holy Spirit is is really, really, really good at what he does. And it's he that draws, it's he that confronts, it's he that points out things in people's heart, and it's he that points people to Christ and their need for him. And he alone is able to show them what is wrong. And he counsels and convicts unlike we can. Listen to this, Oswald Chambers. I love, I love Oswald Chambers. If you don't read that devotional, if you're looking for a good devotional, my utmost for his highest, and be ready to be hit in the face every day with something really, really challenging. He says this, Jesus would say to, his, to us as disciples, cultivate the uncritical temper. It is not done once and for all. Beware of anything that puts you in the superior person's place. Stop having a measuring rod for other people. There's always one fact more in every man's case about which we know nothing. Who of us would dare to stand before God and say, my God, judge me as I have judged my fellow men? We have judged our fellow men as sinners. If God should judge us like that, we would be in hell. God judges us through the marvelous atonement of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is there, yes, measure, but measure with the fear of the Lord. Measure with humility. Measure with love. James 4, he, ta- he gives this command in verse 11, uh, and then and he supplies a number of reasons for stating the command, but he, the command is this, literally, stop judging or criticizing your brother. And so this was an open letter, in the book of James, an open letter to churches in that region, and so evidently this was a problem that was ongoing in the church in that time. And we can see it as a problem today in the church that we are overly critical and we are judging and we are uh, criticizing our neighbor and our brother. And I think criticism is one of the, the biggest widespread sins among Christians that kills our hearts and it destroys unity. James 3 talks about the power of the tongue. He said death and life are in the tongue. And the concern is not so much for the person who's the object of our our criticism, but rather it's for us. Because a critical spirit will devastate it. It will kill our hearts. And we'll begin to see everything through a lens of criticism. 
And it ruins our inner man. It makes us harsh and unloving. It makes us cold. So back to Matthew 7. The sense in which Jesus used the word judge here is, is what he's saying is do not be hypercritical, judgmental of your brother. Do not be a fault finder. And then he says this after he says, and, and he gives us that fear of the Lord pass. He said, however you measure, however you judge, God's going to judge you that way. And so then he says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust? This is verse 3, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. The Greek word for look here is to gaze at, to keep looking at something with intent. It's like a magnifying glass. And he says, why do you look at the dust? Why do you stare intently? And it's taking a critical eye. You know, it's like you are, you are trying to find the smallest little thing. And that's why Jesus says, why do you look at the speck or the, the speck of dust in your brother's eye. When you have a, a log in your own eye. And he said, you know, we, we go out of our way to, you know, get close to people. and Because, you know, to see a speck in someone's eye, you need to be really close. And, it's, and he said, with this critical eye, we are measuring people and saying, you know what, you got that little, you see that little speck of dust, and, and, and we're magnifying glass, you know, just, just holding them to this level of, uh, of accountability. And the problem is, in Jesus, it's almost laughable because, and I think, I think in some ways he's trying to make kind of a, almost a comic thing, is that you are looking through this. And he says, you've got this in your eye, and you've got the magnifying glass. How in the world can you possibly see that speck of dust when you have this hanging out of your eye? And he's saying, look at your heart. What's going on in your life? And it's funny because, you know, it's like if, this could, if I could literally, it would be cool if I could somehow, with special effects, get this to hang here. But it's like, you know, this thing hanging off your face going, oh, excuse me, uh, you got something in your eye. And then everybody would look at them and say, friend, do you, do you need to go look in the mirror? And I mean, it's, and, it, and Jesus is kind of making, you know, there was, if you guys ever seen the book of Matthew on video, Jesus actually, they have him smiling and laughing at this point because he's kind of almost making it kind of, it is that ridiculous. He said, you know, th- you're, this is hanging out of your eye and you're trying to help this guy. Hey, come here, you got something in your eye. Let me help you with that. You need my help. You need me. Because I'm your brother in the Lord, and you, you have a speck of dust in your eye. And the brother is sitting there going, do you see what's in your eye? Do you see the branch that's hanging out of your face right now? And it's so easy for us to not see this and pick apart our brother or our sister with criticism. And it's our tendency is to judge others with great detail, hypercritical, and then we give ourselves a lot of grace. God's okay with my log. Let me help you with your speck. And Jesus is warning us about that. Jesus is speaking 
of a person who has no time to consider the huge plank in his own eye, but is always looking at the slightest misstep of everyone else with a hypercritical eye, getting very close, hammering on someone's faults, being a fault finder. He's telling us, don't do that. Do not pronounce judgment or condemnation on your brother. That's God's business, not yours. He was speaking against judging by appearance, which he himself again prohibited in John 7, saying judge with righteous judgment. So when Jesus said judge not, he was not speaking against the legitimate use of critical powers God has given us or discerning powers or loving our brothers gently. He was speaking against any judgment that's not based on the word of God. And that is the distinction. So he's saying, I want you to deal with yourself. I want you to look at your own heart first. Take the log out. Take that plank out. Realize that you have this issue. Deal with that so that you can see clearly. But this is where we have to humble ourselves before the Lord and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for not removing that log out of my own eye. Because, you know, a lot of times the log is the reason why we look at others. The log is usually critical of other people, and it's, and it's, and it's coupled with deception. The problem with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. And so you don't see it. And so God's saying, I want you to take an intent look in your own heart and allow me to touch your heart. It's the prayer of David saying, search me, O God. Cross-examine me. Test my motives. Lord God, help me to be right before you so then I can help my brother or my sister. Galatians 6.4 says this, let each one examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself. He will not have reason for boasting in regard for himself alone and not regard another. 1 Corinthians 11.31. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. And that's why what Jesus is saying there is, is however you judge, whatever critical way, whatever way you're judging, it's going to be measured back to you the same way. So test yourselves. The fruit that comes out of this is graceful, merciful, lovely, loving judgment and correction. You can then humbly correct others. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And that, those wounds of a friend that are faithful, that are, that are loving, is, is that friend that has gotten that log out of their own eye and they've gotten their things right with the Lord and then they come and lovingly say, you know, let me help you along. Let me, let, let, let's look at this together. Because the gracious thing here is that we remember our own log in our own eye and we remember the mercy and grace of God that he forgave us of that. And we remember from the height that we have fallen and we remember what kind of a heart that we had in the, and, and that we are sinners saved by grace. And then we can help them along. And then we can faithful are the wounds of a friend or iron sharpening iron. Because then there's the opposite side of this too. Verse 6, Jesus says this in relation to this passage. He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls for the pigs because if you do, they will trample them under their, under their feet. 
And that's when there, there, there are certain people in your lives, you can try to lovingly uh, uh, correct them and you can try to deal with them and they don't want to hear it. They don't, they don't want to hear it at all when you're trying to lovingly confront them. And he is giving this in relation that you have just removed the log out of your own eye. Now you're going to help your brother. But some people don't want to hear it. That's where accountability, we have to make ourselves accountable. We have to give people permission to speak into our lives because if we sit in isolation and no one can ever correct us and no one can ever bring uh, you know, a corrective word to us, that's, that's what Jesus is saying because people that live like that, then you bring a corrective word and, and he said it's like pigs trampling over, over pearls. You are, it's, it's a valuable thing that will get just trampled over. Don't do it. That's why the body of Christ is a family. We need each other. We need to deal with our own hearts so that we can help one another. And so then we remove the logs out of our own and we mercifully and we lovingly, we humbly help them to see the speck in their own eye. Let me help you with that because I love you. The fruit of wrong judgment is that while we're judging another, it becomes more difficult to do an acceptable job of judging ourselves. And that's one of the many problems of a person with a judgmental or critical spirit. They seldom look at themselves. I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue. I've been sanctified. But John says in 1 John, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. We're all dealing with it. We all have a sin nature. Being saved, belonging to the Lord, does not eliminate the sin nature. We constantly have to bring that under the Lordship of Christ. And so the fruit of that is people begin to compare. I, I, I do look at myself. I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as they are. That's that whole, you know, that, that exchange with the, the Pharisee. I'm not like that person. So the critical spirit is then we compare. I'm not like them. I didn't do that. We see with blind grace our own faults, but use a microscope on others. So the outflow of that thinking is that my dirt is never as dirty as your dirt from my perspective, and then your dirt is never as dirty as my dirt from your perspective. My sin never seems as sinful as the sin of others. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. I have the log in my eye and find it quite easy to ignore it, but I have no problem pointing out your speck. And so I don't really have the right to demand that you remove your problem without first acknowledging and going to work on my own before the Lord and my relationship, my intimacy with him, because it comes back to relationship. God, help me. I love you. Help me to remove that log out of my eye. Because when we see it from that place, when we see it that when I'm critical of them, when I'm judgmental and I hold them to this standard, God is doing the same thing to me. And so if we're hypercritical, God will be hypercritical to you. And so it should humble us, again, like Galatians 6 says, to gently restore others. So that when we have those opportunities to help our brother or our sister along, it should be in a place of great humility to say, I am not here judging you. I'm here saying, I've had to deal with some stuff too. And I want to help you and I want to love you along. And that's what Jesus had in mind. The destruction of relationships, whether it be marriage, family, 
church relationship, work friendships, is having the attitude, if you would just take out the speck, I'd work on my log. And you can boil down relational problems, relational destruction over that issue right there. As we come to the table, we come in times of conflict, marital problems, marital issues. We've, we've ministered to people where, you know, the married couple comes in and they're both just lobbing grenades at each other. If they would just do that, if they would just do that, and God's saying, you know, with the spirit of Jesus saying, who's going to lay down their life here? Because a lot of times is if you would get that speck out of your eye, I'll deal with my log. But I'm not touching the log until you deal with your speck. As opposed to coming and saying, God, forgive me. Here's the log. I lay it down. So we need to allow the Lord to deal with our hearts. And Jesus said that. He said it needs to be the other way around. It's a hard word from, from him. You deal with yourself first. And listen to what he says. If you don't do it the right way, listen to what he calls us. And I'm, I'm in the boat. He says, you're hypocrites. That's what he says. Take, he said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see clearly. And when Jesus calls a hypocrite, it's not, he's not being mean. He's being as loving and passionate as, as he can be, saying, I'm trying to yank you out of that way of thinking. Because we see it in our marriages. I can, I can be so hypercritical of, a, of Athena and not look at the big old log that's in my own eye. It's very easy for us to do it. In conflict with others, our, our tendency can be about being right instead of the relationship. We live in a world that's uh, it's very good at blame. We live in a culture that we, we blame everyone else, somebody else, it was their fault. It's all the, always the other guy. And it shouldn't surprise us because that's the original thing that was in the garden. Remember, God comes to them, and they've taken of the tree that they're not supposed to touch. And we can, we can see ourselves in that. You know, don't touch this tree. And where do we find them hanging out around that tree? You mean this tree? I can't touch that. Why, you know, and they, probably, they probably spent hours talking about what was, why could, they couldn't talk. You know, that tree becomes the focus. Isn't that, do you see ourselves in that? You know, we're not supposed to have that. Why can't we have that? What's wrong with that? Well, let's look. Let's, let's examine why we can't have that. And so they've, they've fallen, and God comes to them, and he says, Adam, where are you at? And then he confronts them. And what is Adam's first response to God? Blame. It was the woman that you made. And it's actually he's not even blaming the woman. You hear who he's blaming? When you start blaming God, you're, that's, you're on thin ice there. God, it was the woman that you gave me. And God was like, well, when I made her, you know, you weren't complaining at the time. You're pretty happy about it at first. Now it's the woman you gave me, God. You know, if you wouldn't have given me this woman, we wouldn't even be doing this right now. Blame. Turns to Eve. What does she do? Blames the serpent. It's that crafty old snake. And God, God is, you know, you can just imagine God saying, why, why were you guys even near there? You got miles of garden to just 
be a part of. And it's always someone else. It's someone else. And God is saying, look at your own heart. Oswald Chambers, another quote that he says, says, another thing that distracts us is vindication. St. Augustine prayed, O Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. Isn't that a great quote? That temper of mine destroys the soul's faith in God. I must explain myself. I must get people to understand. And he says this, our Lord never explained anything. He left mistakes to correct themselves. When we discern that people are not going on spiritually and allow the discernment to turn us to criticism, we block our way to God. God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we might intercede. Isn't that great? Because when things are not going our way or things don't happen the way we want, the tendency is to always criticize other people. That's where Jesus is getting at with all of this and says, instead of criticizing, begin to intercede and find out what God is doing. You know, Jesus did not over-explain himself to people. The rich young ruler, you know, when, when Jesus says, sell all that you have and come follow me, and it says this guy walked away dejected, he's mad. He's mad at Jesus for giving him, the, you know, and he's kind of kicking his feet, you know, kind of maybe mumbling to his breath. Jesus does not run after him and say, oh, buddy, come here. Let me, are you okay? Let me put my arm around. Let me explain what I meant. Let me, let me help you with this. And I, I don't want you to feel bad. I, I, you know, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to feel too challenged. Jesus just watched him leave, turned to his disciples and said, it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. Now, Jesus loved him. He looked at him with compassion, but he didn't go chasing him down, trying to give him a softer way. Let me, let me try to make it a little more appealing to you. Jesus said, man, if you want your heart to be free, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I will give you life like you never, ever thought you could have. And so Jesus doesn't explain himself. And this guy, we don't know what happens to him. But he walks away and he leaves this, this opportunity to follow Christ. And, you know, maybe he spent his days criticizing Jesus, you know. That was just wrong. Why didn't he ask me something a little easier? And when I left, I, why, why didn't he at least come and find me? I mean, I, this was, it kind of hurt my feelings. Or maybe he had the right response and just said, you know, I need to get right with God. We are called to answer before the Lord ourselves. I'm going to close with this story from, it's about Corey Tenboom. If you're not familiar with Corey Tenboom, she was, her family saved Jews that were, um, you know, being arrested by the Nazis in World War II, and they hid them in their, um, in their home. The, the, the story is called The Hiding Place, and the Tenboom family were very strong Christians, but Corey and her sister, Betsy, ended up in a concentration camp, and and so God really used her. She actually, her sister died in the concentration camp. She actually got out from a clerical error, but later on had a marvelous, marvelous ministry, ministering to thousands of people, talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. She even had the opportunity at one of the, uh, the crusades that she went to, I think 1970s, she had the opportunity to go up to a man who was a SS guard at the camp and, and to look at him and forgive him for what happened. Powerful ministry. She's with the Lord now, but she's one of my heroes. Listen to this. She tells this story. She says, I wish I could say that after a long and fruitful life traveling the world, I had learned to forgive all my enemies. 
I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me and no others, and, and, and me on to others, but they don't. I recall the time I was almost 70 years old when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought, have, having been able to forgive the guards at Ravensbrook, forgiving Christian friends would be child's play. It wasn't. For weeks, I seethed inside, but at least I asked God again to work his miracle in me, and again it happened. First the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. Then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night, rehashing the whole affair again? My friends, I thought, people I loved. If it, hadn't been, if it had been strangers, I would have, wouldn't have minded so. I sat up and switched on the light. Father, I thought all was forgiven. Please help me do it. But the next night I woke up again. They talked so sweetly too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm, help me. Then it was that another secret of forgiveness became evident. It's not enough to simply say, I forgive you. I must also begin to live it out. And in my case, that meant acting as though their sins, like mine, were buried in the depths of the deepest sea. The reason the thoughts kept coming back to me was that I kept turning their sin over and over in my mind. He still had more to teach me, however, from this single episode. Many years later, after I had passed my 80th birthday, an American friend came to visit me in Holland. As we sat in my little apartment, he asked me about those people from long ago who had taken advantage of me. It is nothing, I said, a little smugly. It's all forgiven. By you, yes, he said, but what about them? Have you accepted, have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened. No matter what they say, though, I can prove they were wrong. I went eagerly to my desk. See, I have it in black and white. I saved all their letters, and I can show you where. Corey, aren't you the one, aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? Yet are the sins of your friends etched in black and white? For an astonishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away, forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. Give me the grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to your glory. Black and white being pen and ink. I did not go to sleep that night until I had gone through my desk and pulled out those letters curling now with age, and fed them all into my little coal-burning grate. As the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. When we live by heaven's record-keeping instead of our own, we refuse to keep track of the wrongs that have been inflicted upon us. God's love moves us to forgive instead of keeping score. Only heavenly record-keeping enables us to see through the eyes of God it's not easy, and we need Jesus to do it. Listen to Thomas Kempis. He said, what difference does it make to you what someone else becomes or says or does? What do you need? What do, you do not need to answer for others, only for yourself before God. And so my question today, as we look at this passage and this cry from the heart of Jesus, have you been judgmental in areas? Critical? microscoping the speck in others' eyes and not looking at the log in your own eye? 
If so, there's good news because Jesus offers mercy and forgiveness to us. And just as he looked at his disciples and he's challenging them in this area, because there's nothing new, friends. If they were dealing with it then, we deal with it now. And my encouragement to you is, is, is to repent and get right with him and have a log burning. Cast those logs upon a fire, just like when Corey Timboon, you know, she put those letters in the fire, is that we need to take those logs out of our eye and cast them before the Lord and say, Lord, burn them up. Burn them up. And I tell you what, we will begin to see revival in our own hearts. We will begin to see freedom like we've never had before. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, thank you for your words of life. Lord, in, 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 in a lot of ways, Lord, this is, this is, this is a kind of a hard word to hear. And, but, Lord, whenever you would give a hard word, it was because of your passionate love. Lord, as you were looking at your disciples and you loved those guys deeply and you wanted the best for them, Lord, you wanted them to, Lord, carry on the mission and the kingdom as, as you do for us. And you, Lord, sternly but lovingly gave them this word, don't, be ju- don't, don't judge, look at your own heart, get that log out of your own eye, be right before God. Lord, we want to respond before you today, God, help us. Help us, God. I just encourage you right, right where you're at and that, that as you talk to the Lord and, and, you know, he sees your heart. And just in the quietness right now, because we're going to just take a few minutes and just begin to forgive. I mean, even if it helps you to name that person right where you're at, you don't have to say it out loud. Lord, I forgive so-and-so. Lord, forgive me for hanging on to that. And, and also, as the Lord is pinpointing, that to take those logs out of our own eyes to remember how much we've been forgiven. To cast those before his feet. Receive his mercy, his forgiveness. Jesus, we love you, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive our hearts. God, we want to walk in unity with each other. God, forgive us for being critical judgmental. God, forgive us for judging the world when you never called us to do that. Forgive us for holding on to things, God, that we should have let go of a long time ago. Lord, I pray for those today, Lord God, because I know it's a hard thing when they've gone through very, very difficult things, unmentionable things. Lord, that you would walk with them graciously and lovingly, Lord, that they were able to be able to forgive and let go. God, I pray for freedom this week as we walk it out, Lord. I pray, Lord, tomorrow as we walk it out, Tuesday when we walk it out, Wednesday when we walk it out, God, that we would not judge, that we would, Lord, burn those logs from our own eyes at your feet every day so that we can see clearly. God, make us teachable, make us humble. Help us to love you, Jesus. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. God bless you today. Have an awesome day in the Lord.